0: I love the word of God. We're about to get into first Peter chapter five tonight. And it's so rich. It's so good. It's a little bit of a shift in the book because the first four chapters, he's talking about suffering, how to deal with it, cope with it, look at it, trust God with it, endure it, let it allow it and allow God to allow it to work out for his glory. But then chapter five, he's going to switch. And we're not on suffering anymore. Everybody say praise God. I'm kind of, wow, y'all are ready to get off of suffering, aren't you? I mean, that was a good, that's the best Wednesday night, amen, I've had in a long time. All right. Lord, thank you for your word tonight. We pray that you will bless it and use it. Lord, we know that we approach the very word of God. And Lord, we need it. It's our manna, it's our food, it's our life, it sustains us, it builds our faith, it encourages us, it heals us, it edifies, exhorts, and comforts us. And so, Lord, we come to your word with great honor now and humility and respect and even awe. And we thank you, Lord, for ministering your word to us tonight. Can you just breathe a prayer and just say, "Lord, speak to my heart. Lord, to my heart. In Jesus name, Jesus. I receive the engrafted word. I the engrafted word. Amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him it's going to be good tonight. You better perk up and listen. Amen. All right. how many of you read ahead, chapter five? Tell the truth. You read ahead. All right? That's more than the last time. Good. Rest rest of you you're just content for me to teach it, aren't you? Just yeah um, I'm really excited not just to go through chapter five, but we're headed now to 2 Peter, which is totally different from 1 peter uh, it's It's far more a warning than it is a a, a comfort it's very very prophetic it's very it's, well it's it's the closest letter in the Bible to Jude that there is. Jude and Second Peter are almost identical in some ways. So tonight we're going to look at chapter 5. We have two more weeks to go on First Peter and then we're into Second Peter. Now last time we ended with Peter's advice for those who are suffering. And he says when we are overwhelmed with suffering, how many of you have ever been there overwhelmed with suffering where it's like I don't know what to do anymore, I don't know where to turn anymore, um, what does God want me to do? Ever been there? When we're overwhelmed with suffering, we're to place our trust totally in God, in his sovereignty. The Lord is too loving to be unkind. He's too wise to make any mistakes. And he's too powerful to be thwarted from his purpose in your life. So when you're suffering, you commit your soul to the God who is faithful. And that's what Jesus did. Now as we begin chapter 5, Peter's going to leave the question of suffering and he's turning to the question of shepherding. We're going to talk about local church tonight and church leadership and that's not easy for me because I'd be one. So I kind of have to talk about myself a little bit, which is the most boring subject for me. But he begins with some words first about the spiritual maturity of a shepherd. So he's looking now at the local church and what are we to expect From local church leadership—that is, elders and pastors. Now, I don't have this in the notes, but there's three words in the Greek language for church leadership. One of them is episkopos, and we get what denomination from that? Episcopalian. That means overseer. And then there's presbyteros, and what denomination comes from there? Y'all are sharp tonight. Y'all are on. Now, the third one, and presbyteros is the word for elder. The third one, no denomination came out of it. It's called poimen, and poimen means shepherd. But they're really synonymous. The three words really mean one and the same thing, that church leadership, elders and pastors, uh, and I believe a pastor is an elder, um, are called of God to oversee the flock, and I'm going to talk about this more in a minute, to oversee the flock, that's episkopos, take the oversight thereof, and shepherd the flock, which means to feed, lead, and guide. And and so the three words are synonymous. Here in verse 1, it's the word presbuteros, the elders who are among you. I exhort. I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Now, when you read the word elder, it can mean one of two things. The word elder is from a Greek word, meaning either older in age. That's not me. (laughs) I didn't used to be in both categories, but now I am, right? Or it can be talking about an elder's spiritual experience and maturity, all right? So we say, well, uh, he's an elder. That, That could mean he's an older man or he's a spiritual leader and or both. Elders were not chosen lightly in Peter's day, and they never should be. They were not chosen based on their personal popularity in the church. You do not appoint somebody to leadership because people like them. Because never fear, once they're in leadership, people won't like them anymore. (laughs) And they weren't appointed elders for their giving, for their money. And they weren't appointed elders for their business success. They were chosen carefully and prayerfully. And the Bible is full of the qualifications for elder. Now, Paul instructed Timothy, he said, When it comes to anointing an elder, Timothy, never be in a hurry about appointing a church elder. Do not share in the sins of others. What does he mean by that? He means if you appoint an elder that's not ready and that elder goes and and, and sins, you're a partaker in that you appointed him prematurely. Again, he said in 1 Timothy 3.10, they must first be tested to see if they're ready for the work. Elders were to be men of maturity, who had grown up in and become acquainted with Christ, who were not likely to be swayed by the world's temptations, who had proven themselves faithful. That's a big one. Were they faithful? Are they faithful? And who were willing to suffer for the name of Christ men of the word and seasoned men of God, not a novice, not a newbie, lest when you appoint them, and and you can, listen, somebody can get saved in, say, in a year's time. They can be full of zeal. They can be manifesting gifts of the spirit. They can look like leadership material, but you got to be careful because they're still a novice. I want somebody that's been around the mountain a few times. Okay? that has Their their knees are skinned up a little bit. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be honest with you, I have a hard time trusting anybody that doesn't limp. (laughs) They've been through some tough times, and they have been faithful to God. And they have come out on the other side. And so they're seasoned. They're tested. They're time-proven. Their doctrine is sound. Because once you appoint them, listen, it's, it's way easier to appoint them than it is to remove them. Now, not only must the elder be a man of maturity, Peter says, but he must also be a man of ministry. Look what he says, same verse, verse 2, shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Shepherd. Now, some of your versions say feed, and and, and that's okay, but that's not the best translation out there. The better translation is shepherd. Because feed, it's more than feeding. When you talk about shepherding, it means more than feeding the flock. Shepherd also entails tending the flock, which includes guarding and guiding them. If you know me, then you know I guard the flock. You know that I do. I mean, I'm watching out for wolves all the time. Now, God trained me that, for that by giving me three little sisters. Seriously, I was the firstborn and only boy. And then God gave me three little sisters. And you know what I ended up doing when I was lost as a goose in a hailstorm? I still learned that I was watching out for those little sisters of mine. Not that they always wanted it. Sometimes they didn't. It's like, bro, get out of here. (laughs) Leave me alone. But I I learned early on to be watchful, to to be protective. I I did. I was protective over my sisters. I fought a couple of guys over my sisters. One of them whooped me. I shed blood for my sisters. And if you're watching, sis, you know it's true. Now, for instance, Paul says, he says, preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Now, look at the next words. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. Now, let me tell you what's easy. It's easy to encourage them. But have you tried lately to correct somebody in our generation? Have you tried? Who are you to judge me? Your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. Can't we all just get along? Get off my case. Have you tried rebuking anybody? Oh, man. Go try it. So it's not just teaching, but I want you to notice what he tells the pastor to do. And I want to ask you a question. He's, he's telling the elders and pastors to do this, but, but, it, but if you were to be corrected, and I have been corrected. I have people over me. I'm accountable to people. And if they were to correct me, you know what the Bible says about it? It says you're wise if you allow correction into your life. It says the fool disdains it. But the wise man will accept it because that's how you grow. Somebody sees something you don't see, and they correct you. And when they correct you, uh, they're doing you a huge favor because they could just let you go and let you experience the real hard knocks. So they correct. So it's correcting, it's rebuking, and it's encouraging. And all these things are to happen within the four walls of the local church. Now the writer of Hebrews goes further, and he says, obey those who have the rule over you and be submissive. Can you believe he said that? Amen. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. This verse scares me. Let them do so with joy and not with grief. And that word grief means groaning, for that would be unprofitable for you. So he says to the, 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 the congregation of a church, he says to the sheep of the, of the flock, he says, God's going to give you leaders. And those leaders are are going to correct you, rebuke you, encourage you, teach you, guide you, guard you, protect you, warn you. And when they do, he says, obey them. Obey their word. So long as their word is in line with the word. Obey them. And then he says, be submissive to them. Why? Why? Because they're watching out for your soul. See, when, when a church leader takes you aside and says, hey, um, I'm, I'm seeing a little something in your life. I love you in the Lord. I love you very much. I, I want the best for you. But, but here's what I'm seeing, and here's what God told me, and I, and I want to just bring a little correction. Uh, I'll give you just, you need to watch your money a little better. Don't, don't whip out that plastic credit card so easily. You're in too much debt. Now, the wise person will go, thank you. Because you're right. My wife's already told me this. No, you're right. But the fool will say, you know, get out of my stuff. I just come here to go to church, whatever that means to you. Um But he says, why would you obey them? Because they're watching over your soul. They're an under-shepherd. Jesus is the chief chief shepherd, but church leaders are under-shepherds, and they are doing what Jesus does. They are his eyes, his ears, his mouth, his hands. And and he says, obey them, not if they're telling you to do something sinful or illegal or, or unethical, of course not. But if they're speaking according to the word of God, submit. Because they're watching over your soul because they're going to answer to God one day. Every one of my elders and me are going to answer to God. That's why I tell it straight. I'm not going to get up here and tickle your ear and scratch your itch. I'm not going to tell you things you want to always hear. I mean, people tell me, all. I've never been accused of being eloquent but I have been accused of being straight. You say it straight. I get input from the radio. People thank me. They don't say, hey, you're so eloquent on the radio. No, they say, thanks for sticking with the word. Now, here's why I do, because I'm going to answer to God. One day I will face Jesus, and he'll say, did you faithfully teach my word? Did you tell them the truth about me? Did you fudge when you were afraid that they would walk away or that you might be criticized? Did Did you love them? Did you lead them and guide them in my way? I'm going to answer to God. Every elder is going to answer to God. Now he says, let them do so with joy. Now, how do they do it with joy? They do it with joy when there is submission and obedience to the word that comes through leadership. And he says, not with groaning, for that would be unprofitable for you. If that preacher is having to get up here every week and minister the word of God, having groaned all week long because so much grief came to them from the people, that's unprofitable for you. You know why? They won't preach as good. They won't teach as good. They won't lead as good. They're beat up. Do you know that the ministry has one of the highest dropout rates of any career in the nation? You know why? Because those pastors come out of seminary, they have no idea what they're headed into. Because a church, folks, is a, is a place of blessing, but it's also a war zone every day. It is a war zone every day. The devil is always walking around trying to figure out how to mess up a local church. It's a war zone. And, and those preachers get, get pelted, those young ones, they get, they get pelted with criticism Pelted with people who will not obey the word of God. They they, they run up against uh, people who will not let them lead. And before you know it, the guy that began with joy is now ending with groaning. And he's looking to sell cars. (laughs) Or insurance. And that's where most of them go. The word obey means submit to their authority in the church as long as it is administered in accordance with the teachings of Jesus. If I ever pass out Kool-Aid, hit the door. You see what I'm saying? You don't follow blindly, but you do follow sincerely if I and the leadership are following Christ. Now, notice that not only does the elder pastor teach, correct, rebuke, and encourage, but he also watches out for the souls under his care. The true pastor is always looking out for wolves. And You know how the wolves usually get in? one of two ways bad doctrine or immorality you'll have wolves come in and they'll check out to them a church is a meat market and they're looking for things to satisfy their flesh and they're wolves and I've dealt with them before and then false teachers come in not just through the doors but they come in through radio they come in through television they come in through books. They come in through conferences. I, I know I'm a broken record with this, but I am shocked at how much false doctrine is out there and being accepted by, by church people. And the only way they're accepting it is because they don't know the Bible. That's why we teach the Bible here. We want you to know the Bible. So I go through whole books. Because the more you know it, the less likely you are to be deceived. The word teach means to provide pasture. I'm providing green grass for you tonight. The word of God. Lord Jesus told Peter three times, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And the only thing that we're to feed the sheep with is the good word of God. And that's what we're getting into tonight. It's the good word of God. And I'm a feeder. Amen? Amen? So Peter deals with the spiritual maturity of the leader and the spiritual ministry of the elder pastor. And then next he mentions their spiritual motivation. Now we get down to why are they there, the leadership? Why are they there? He says in verse 2, the second half, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for, uh uh-oh, dishonest gain, but eagerly. Now, he lists two wrong motives for leadership and two right ones. The the wrong one, first, is they're money motivated. The Greek word Peter uses for dishonest means greedy for money. It's a Greek word that literally means greedy for money. They're they're in the ministry, not just pastoring, but parachurch ministries. They're in it for the dollar because you would be amazed at the huge money that some are able to get through ministry. Amen. Now, if you write, like Rick Warren did, if you write a multi-million book bestseller, then, then that, that, you get that money right. That money's yours. You got it. That's good. Hey, you wrote the book. I'm happy for him. You go, Rick. Bless me, Lord. I, I don't, that, that's fine. It was honestly gotten. But then there are scams out there, folks. Yeah. People who will stand in front of a television camera or on a radio and look you right in the eye through a television screen and lie to you. Lie to you about the way they're raising the money, false promises behind your giving. I, I don't mean to disillusion you, but let me disillusion you. Let me tell you the truth. Not all of them, not all of them, but some of them. And they get wealthy off of the... Money given based on false promises. You know, the scams, they drive me crazy. You know, it it can be October 31st and one of them will go on TV and say, well, it's October 31st. God told me that if you send in $31, he's going to bless you for 31 days. And if you send in 31 times 5, he's going to bless you for 31 years. And these little old ladies out there who have their Social Security checks, Write them and send them, going, well, brother so-and-so gave me this promise, and it's a scam. God didn't tell them that. God did not tell them that. Or if you send in your money, your runaway child's coming home. Or if you send in your money, your body's going to be healed. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus ever charge for a healing? Did Paul send out his handkerchief and say, hey, take up an offering before you lay that handkerchief on them. Did he? No. We can't even imagine Jesus asking for money for a healing. You know why we can't imagine it? Because he would never do it. Well, if he would never do it, why would he lead those professing to speak for him to do it? If you send in your $100 check, then I see it. I see it. God is showing me your leg is going to be healed. Well, how many hurt legs are out there? I mean, come on, y'all. There's legitimate giving, truthfully. But there's also illegitimate giving. And he calls it dishonest gain. It's dishonest. And some of these guys and gals, I don't want to be in their shoes when they face Christ. Because they've turned ministry into a profit machine. And that's not what it is. Y'all are so quiet. I mean, haven't you ever just looked at the TV and said, oh, shut up. Come on. Do you think I'm stupid? Amen. And they drive off in their, you know, Bentleys and go to their mansions. And, oh, it drives me crazy. Now, if Rick Warren has a mansion, good for Rick. He wrote a book. He got it honestly. He didn't say, buy my book. And God's going to help you write three. Okay. I've said enough. I'm probably already in trouble. The second wrong motive for pastoring is that of being under constraint. This means to be forced to do something. You've got a pastor up here or elders that have been forced. And you know how this happens a lot of the time? A daddy who was a very, very successful preacher either retires or passes away and turns it over to his son. And his son's not ready. His son doesn't want it. But daddy has always wanted his son to do it. And so the son takes it and he hates it. He doesn't feel called to do it. He can't preach like daddy. He doesn't have the burden that daddy had. Just an example. He's not doing it willingly. And so they begin to experience resentment. And their heart's not really in it. So they're never going to lead a congregation well. The only way you pastor is God lays his hand on you. And you get ordained, not by men, but by God. Not of men and not through men, but by God. I can honestly tell you, before God, God laid his hand on me. Men didn't call me. Men would never have thought to call me. God laid his hand on me. I say it in all humility. But I know this, woe to me. If I don't preach the gospel and preach the word. He laid his hand on me. Or I'd have never survived the pastorate. Peter says the true pastor will do it willingly. The true pastor investigates all the ins and outs of pastoring. And then he plunges cheerfully into the work. And Peter says the true pastor will do his work eagerly. With passion and with zeal. Everybody say amen. Amen. Now next. Peter mentions the spiritual manner of shepherding. He says in verse three, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples of the flock. Now, there's two kinds of leadership in this verse those who lead by force and those who lead by example, those who lead by manipulation, those who lead by example, those who lead by coercion, and those who lead by example. Pastors, folks, were never intended to be permission givers to the flock as to how they're to live their lives. The last thing I want is to be a permission giver for you. I know churches, well, I say I know. I've known of churches where this was so extreme, where somebody, a family would go to the pastor and say, we want to go on vacation, is that okay? And then the pastor from way on high says, yes, my child. Go on vacation. Um... Pastors and elders weren't and aren't called to be controlling, manipulative, power-hungry, or power-brokers. That's what cults do. You you know it's a cult when they start taking control of your life. Can I say that again? I don't care what the cult is. If, If a ministry is getting cultish, they'll start taking control over the lives of the people under them. More and more, they'll take control. What you can do, what you can't do, what you can say, what you can't say, who you can marry, who you can't marry, where you can go, where you can't go, what you can do with your money, what you can't do with your money, how, how you ought to give your money, when you ought to give your money. Amen. They'll start taking control. Do you understand me? A healthy church won't do that. A healthy church will encourage you to do what's right, but a healthy church will never seek to control you. Now, from the flock's point of view, that's the leadership. Their manner of shepherding is, I'm going to feed, I'm going to lead, I'm sometimes going to correct, and I'm going to counsel according to the wisdom of Scripture. I'm going to lead by example and never by coercion. I've learned you can't change people. I can't change people. The first few years of my pastorate, I thought, not here, but East Texas, I thought I was going to change people. I thought I was going to get up and preach real good, preach real hard, sweat a lot. And they were all going to think like me and walk like me and talk like me and and, and seek God like me. And, man, I ran up against such a brick wall, and I realized I can't change anybody. You know what? You can't change your husband. You can't change your wife. You can't change your kids. God's got to do it. Here's what I came to learn. I learned that the only thing that changes people is truth, Bible truth. Now, I'm not telling wives to go preach Bible truth to their husbands. I'm just saying as a pastor, I saw that when I preached and taught truth and not just said to the folks, here's what God wants you to do, but here's why God wants you to do it. Let me show you the thinking behind the verse, and they could see the truth. That's what changed them. Truth changes people. Truth. Truth. Spoken in love and in much patience. And that's all that changes them. So I will dispense wisdom to somebody, knowledge, understanding, you know, counsel. But then if they don't change, I I give it to God. I just give it to God because I can't change them. I don't go grab them and say, I thought you were submitted to me. How come you haven't changed? No, I let the word do the walking. Just like I am right now. See, I've got you here to change you. But the only way I'm going to change you is to give you the word of God. And that's what grows us. Amen? So say with me, it's real healthy. Say with me, I I can't change anybody. For some of you, that's a real revelation. That's the smartest thing you can know going into marriage. You're not going to change that person. You're not going to change that person. Matter of fact, they're probably going to get worse after you say I do. (laughs) Now they don't have to act so good. They got (laughs) you. Right? Going there going, I I accept you just like you are. And, And if you stay just like you are, I'm good with what you are and who you are. Now, from the flock's point of view, they are to be respected, the leaders now. Now, First, we were looking leaders to the people. Now, the people to the leaders. From the flock's point of view, leadership is to be respected and their authority submitted to so long as their counsel and direction flows from Scripture. They're placed where they are to watch over your souls as those who will answer to God. Now, I hesitated to go here tonight. I'm just going to go here and be transparent. I have found that this principle of accountability, where he says, obey the leaders and submit to them. And when you come into a local church, you're actually in a spiritual setting where men have been given um, authority under Christ over your life to speak the word into your life and to lead and guide you. And that means something in a local church. A local church is not a restaurant where you just come in and eat for a while and then decide after a while you want Chinese somewhere else. Amen. A, a church is where you come in and you go, you know what, I, I witness to this vision and I witness to the way they do what they do and I am going to submit, therefore, my life and my family to this leadership, to let them speak into my life. I mean, you're letting me right now speak into your life. I don't want to control you, but I do want to speak the word of God into your life. But I have found that this principle of accountability and submission to church leadership's counsel is almost wholly lost on the body of Christ today, particularly in charismatic churches, which is the only kind of church I've ever pastored. You know why? Because people are prone to blame their own lack of accountability or stability on the leading of the Spirit. They take their lack of stability and they blame God for it. Well, God led me. God told me to do this and that and the other. Well, who's going to argue with God? I have found that a whole lot of people that flow in and out of churches have no concept whatsoever at all of being accountable to spiritual leadership. None. For instance, Christians come into a church fellowship. They receive from the leadership's ministry for a period of time. That church leadership will marry their living, bury their dead, walk through valleys and fire and ovens with them, pray over them, listen to them, cry with them. And one day they simply walk away without a solitary word. The only way we know they're gone is I have a sharp eye. And I realize, oh, so-and-so, I haven't seen them in a while. Listen to me, church. There's no sense of accountability at all. No attempt to run their decision through leadership. No sense of their having seen the church as a family, that they are leaving, or a place where God has planted them. They just go to the next restaurant quietly in the night. Thanks, but not even that. Really? You just uprooted yourself and left? Because let me tell you what the Holy Ghost does with churches. The Holy Ghost plants people. Now listen to me. Let me just talk to you a minute about local church. The Holy Ghost plants people. He gives you a church where you put down roots. And and then gives you a family. Church isn't an institution. It's an organism. It's not an organization. It's an organism. It's living Breathing, pulsating, alive. It's a family. It's a great big family. And when you just up and walk away, you've left people missing you, wondering where you went. It's kind of a weird testimony. Unless you do it right. They have no concept that it's a place where God has planted them. It says in the Bible, those that are planted in the house of the Lord, will flourish in the courts of our God. They just go to the next place. And and if you check their life, you find that they've been to a whole lot of places. And that's sad for them. Because you know what? When you get planted... See, let me... I'm, I'm rambling a little bit, but let me add something quickly. Why does God put you in a church? Is it all about you? Does he put you in a church all about you? Is it so your needs can be met the way you want them met so that you can have just the right children's ministry, just the right pulpit ministry, just the right worship ministry, just the right... Does God put you in a local church with only you in mind? No. What does he put us in for? Because each of us have a gift. And he says we're to minister it to one another. So when God puts us in a local church, he does it for two reasons. He does it so that your spiritual needs will be met, but also so that you can make that place stronger through your gift. Yeah. He puts you here. It's not just for you. It's for us. Yeah. I need you. You need me. We need one another. We need to be one another one another. Yeah. So these floaters, some somebody called them cruise who jump from place to place and they so easily uproot and leave a place not a word they don't say a word they just go and you hear they're somewhere else really didn't I cry with you pray with you teach you preach to you and you just walk away like no big deal you weren't under any kind of accountability no you weren't you did not understand local church We have gotten a consumer mentality when it comes to church. A consumer goes into a restaurant and says, I'm here because I want this kind of food, and I want you to feed me real good and wait on me real good. And if you do it real, real good, I'll give you 20% instead of 10% tip. And then I'm out of here because you serve me well. That's the way we look at churches. but That's not the way God looks at churches. God says, I took this person and that person, and I planted them in that local church. Not only so they could be fed, but it's not going to be perfect. Amen. Every church has flaws, shortcomings, things you don't like, Amen. people that rub you wrong. Amen. But you're not supposed to hook them and run every time you get a little bit offended. Amen. Or every time you're itching and scratched just right. Yeah. You're not supposed to say, well, I'll just go somewhere else. Because guess what? Your next offender is waiting in your next church. Yeah. comes a point where it's kind of like a marriage in a way. I'm not saying it's like a marriage, but some of the same principles. You marry somebody, they're not perfect, and their idiosyncrasies can drive you nuts. But you stay, and you grow. So, God puts us in a local church for our own needs to be met relatively, decently. I mean, you have every right in the world to look for a church that has good doctrine, that worships Jesus, that, that, that is, is together on the essentials. But when you find flaws, it's because people are there. Yeah. Amen. This is not how the Bible church or how the Bible pictures church, This just so easily walking away per the verses that we've just read. Anytime I left the church before I was senior pastoring, I'm going to close this part with this. Anytime I left a local church before I was a senior pastor, I went to the leadership, and I only left twice, and both times it was to go and minister. I went to the leadership and gave them what I was praying about, and when they agreed with me, I let them send me. I was sent out every time by the leadership I'd been accountable to. For a lot of people in Fort Worth churches, that is a totally foreign concept. Okay, I vented. I'm not done yet, though. I got one more vent, then I'm done. Next, Peter addresses the sheep. He says, likewise, you younger people submit yourselves to your elders. Uh-oh, there's that word submit again. I wish he'd get off of submit. Here is a principle we all recognize. Most have heard the phrase, respect your elders. Amen. This springs out of the oft-forgotten practice of honoring authority. Now, I can remember when I started out in ministry being surrounded by seasoned men, men that I really, really respected, who had been around the mountain a few times, and they were fruitful ministers of Jesus Christ. These were my elders. These were my, my leaders. They were the ones teaching me the ropes. And I can recall sometimes not agreeing with things they said and things they did. And there were times they actually wronged me, legitimately wronged me. But my sheer respect for their spiritual authority and who they were in Christ sealed my lips. I would not have dreamed of talking back to them or of speaking disrespectfully in any way. I just gave my disagreements or hurts to the Lord. You know, it's a a funny thing. When you give your hurts to God, he gives you peace and you're able to go on. But... I just gave my disagreements or my hurts to the Lord, and I kept on going. But I've discovered in 35 years of pastoring, this is not the case today. Some people don't hesitate to speak disrespectfully to leadership, to argue, to talk down to them. It amazes me because I go, I would never have done that. Now, it's not that you can't agree or disagree. It's not that, but it's how you respond. With your disagreement. The wisdom of honoring spiritual authority is nowhere in a lot of Christians today. And you know where they get it? They get it from the culture out there that has no respect for authority. Because let me give you a Bible verse. All authority is from God. Romans 13.1. All authority is from God. Let me give you an example. In the book of Acts, Paul the apostle is standing before the Sanhedrin for judgment. The Bible says, quote, this is out of the Living Bible. Gazing intently at the council, Paul began, Brothers, I've always lived before God in all good conscience. Now, as soon as he said that, Ananias, the high priest, commanded those close to Paul to slap him on the mouth. And he did. I love what Paul said. This is the Living Bible. God will slap you, you whitewashed pig pen. Now, I've never heard that come out of anybody's mouth, but I kind of like it. God will slap you, you whitewashed pig pen. What kind of judge are you? Now, Paul was right. Now, look at this. Paul was right. What kind of judge are you to break the law yourself by ordering me to be struck like that contrary to the law? You're claiming to uphold the law, and you command somebody to hit me contrary to the law. You're a hypocrite, and you're living in a pig pen. Now, look what happens next. Here's Paul. He's cooking. He's got steam coming out of his ears. He is standing up for himself. Look what happens next. Those standing near, Paul said to him, Is that the way you talk to God's high priest? And all of a sudden, it's like somebody switched a dial. And Paul goes, Oh, I didn't realize he was the high priest, brothers. For the scriptures say, Never speak evil of any of your rulers, whether they're right or wrong. Don't speak Amen. like you just did, saying they live in a pig pen. Don't do it. Now, I want you to notice notice something here. What changed Paul's attitude towards the high priest? God-given authority. Okay? Even though the authority was totally wrong in his actions towards Paul, Paul said, oh, there's a bigger authority here, and that is the word of God to which I am submitted. In reality, Paul wasn't submitting to the man. He was submitting to the word that told him not to speak wrongly to the man. Are you with me? Can the Bible tell you what to do? Is the Bible the word of God? So when it says, there's a lot of places I could go at this juncture, but when it says you're to live this way or that, or not this way or that, does it have the authority to readjust your life and tell you what to do? Yes. And so Paul went, "Uh uh-oh, I messed up. I didn't know he was the high priest. So all of a sudden, his attitude totally changed. What did it? The Word of God. The authority invested in that man and in the Word. So, this wisdom, again, I say to you, is not in all Christians, even some who claim to be anointed of God have no problem sassing, talking back, um, arguing, talking down to authority. Peter goes on to encourage humility. Verse 5, yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility for God resists the proud but he gives grace to the humble. Now the phrase clothed with humility means to gird yourself. Humility is something you put on and wear. We're to wear it around the house, to the store, to church, and to work. We're to wear humility. You put it on. Nobody wore humility like Jesus. By the time he was 12, folks, get this. By the time he was 12, he knew who he was. He knew he was the Son of God and he knew who his heavenly Father was. And yet he submitted to his human mother and to Joseph, his stepfather. The Bible says he was subject to them. Peter goes on to tell us something powerful about pride and humility, and I'm going to close with this. Please pay attention to this. Watch this. You got pride, and you got the antithesis of pride, humility. He says you're to walk in humility and not pride. Here's what Peter tells us about pride. God literally resists the proud. Now, that word resist means to square off against, to oppose, to push away from, to keep at arm's length. So when we walk in pride, which is revealed by our refusal to submit to God's word and God's authority, God literally, can you imagine, you're against God now. You're up against God because he has squared off against you. And he's opposing you. And God is keeping you at arm's length. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be at arm's length from God. I want to be nestled right up close, hugged by his arms. I don't want to be pushed away. But he says, when you walk in pride, then God says, I'm opposed to you. I'm going to push you away. I'm going to keep you at arm's length. I'm against you. In this day of intense spiritual warfare and our great need for God's grace, It's only wise to shun pride and walk in humility. For Peter goes on to promise that God gives grace to the humble. Now let me tell you what humble is. You say, well, humility, great, Jeff. But what's humility? Here's what it is. When you're God-reliant instead of self-reliant. It's that simple. You get up in the morning and you say, wow, Lord, you've called me to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. You've called me to resist this world. You've called me to stand against temptation. You've called me to bear fruit. You've called me to walk with you. You've called me to glorify you. You've called me to take a stand for you today. Lord, that's bigger than me. I can't do it. So, Lord, I'm humbling myself in your presence, and I'm relying on you. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. I'm relying on you. I'm not relying on me. You know what God will do when you get saved and you've been a very self-reliant person? The Holy Ghost will immediately go to work to smash the smithereens your self-reliance. Amen. So that you get up and you go, I'm, I'm humble. That's what I mean by walking with a limp. Jacob wrestled with that angel all night long. You know what Jacob was like before he wrestled with that angel? He was the, he was the epitome of self-reliance. Yeah. He was a con artist, He was a fast talker. He was persuasive. He could get his way any old way. He got what he wanted. He knew how to work people. But then he met this angel on his way back to the promised land. And they wrestled all night long. And that angel pulled his hip out of joint. So the Bible says he limped the rest of his life. But that's a picture. That's a metaphor. That's a symbol of what? It's a symbol of Jacob's self-reliance coming to an end right then and there. And his reliance on God. Now I need God to help me walk. Are you with me? So so humility is you're God-reliant. And when you're God-reliant, you're leaning on the Holy Ghost, walking in the Word of God, drawing your life and strength from Him. When you're God-reliant then he graces you. And that word grace means to be near you and to share his benefits with you. So instead of being at arm's length, he's pulling you in tight, saying, come on, I'm going to carry you. Let's walk. Because you and me together, we can do it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? Let's stand up together tonight. Amen. How many God-reliant people do we have in here? Amen. Amen. Well, let's lift our hands to the Lord Jesus and bless his name. Lord, thank you so much that you carry us. Thank you that you walk with us. Thank you that you minister to us, Lord. Thank you that we can't do it on our own, but we can do it in you and through you and by you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the picture of the local church that you have given to us. Thank you, Lord, for giving us Turning Point Church. Thank you for all the churches that preach Jesus. Lord, we just come to you right now. and We're going to worship your name. Let's lift our hands and worship him before we go.